0: Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to another Crash, the UK podcast for the Culture Geek, Technology Nerd and Creative Wizard. This is episode number 248, recorded on Monday, the 18th of March, 2019 at 2044.08. Yes, we are back as promised. Yesterday? I think yesterday. And it is a Doctor Who themed show, and today we're talking about the story Colony in Space from 1971. You see, no pre show preamble this time, straight in. Just a few notes on the cast and production. John Pertwee is the third Doctor, Katie Manning is Joe Grant, his companion. Nicholas Courtney is Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, although he's not actually in this story that much. Production. Michael Bryant was the director. Malcolm Hulk, the writer. Barry Letts, the producer. This story is from series 8, and it is story 58, six 25-minute episodes, and broadcast after the Claws of Axos, from the 10th of April to the 15th of May 1971. Let's hear a small clip from the beginning of the story. Are sure the Master knows? The report on the Doomsday Weapon is missing from our files. Only he could have taken it. Then we can use the Doctor to deal with this problem. Doctor, why don't you give up? You've been working on that thing for simply ages. That's done it? Done what? I've made myself a completely new dematerialization circuit. One that will bypass the Time Lord's herming control. I hope. Why not step inside and see for yourself? Don't believe it. It's bigger inside than out. Something's operating it by remote control. Okay. Leeson, who's this? How do you do? Well, I must say, this is almost impressive. I found these two in Sector 27. They say they're explorers. Where do they come from? Uh, we come from Earth. Let's start off with what I like to call a roinopsis of the story. Only kidding, I don't really like to call it that. I thought I'd try it out tonight. It doesn't sound that good, does it? Okay, here goes. The Doctor demonstrates the newly repaired TARDIS to Joe, as you heard in that clip. If you remember back to the Claws of Axos, which we talked about last time, in which the Doctor tricked the Master into repairing the TARDIS. Unfortunately, from what you heard of the Time Lord's control of The Doctor's TARDIS, the Doctor, is sent on a mission to a remote, future human colony planet. The sparse planet is colonised by impoverished humans. The Doctor tries his best to help, but valuable mineral resources make the planet a target for the corrupt and powerful Interplanetary Mining Corporation the IMC. Suspicious deaths of colonists later on turn out to be a secret IMC campaign to make the colonists leave. Conflict erupts between the colonists and the IMC, and eventually an adjudicator from Earth arrives to mediate the situation. The adjudicator is... Well, you already know, I'm sure. The Master. The Doctor rescues Joe from the primitive natives, who are secretive, but perhaps a very advanced culture, who live hidden within the depths of the planet. The appeal to the Adjudicator does not go well for the colonists, Though the Master does say that if anything of special historic interest is unearthed, maybe he will change his mind. Is he up to something? Perhaps this is why the Time Lords diverted the Doctor. Well, you already know that from the clip at the top of the show. Yes, to both questions is the answer. The Master is trying to get his hands on a sun-destroying doomsday superweapon, the records of which he found rooting around in the Time Lord archive. The Time Lords have sent the errant son of Gallifrey on a mission to stop another errant son of Gallifrey. A rather more naughty son of Gallifrey, though. Okay, I was trying for a bit of purple. You gotta love the purple. The Master looks as though he has won a weapon that will make him the ruler of the universe. He offers to share power with the Doctor, who actually considers it for a moment, but then refuses. Fortunately, the diminutive alien ruler of the subterranean city appears and activates the city's self destruction system rather than letting the master possess the weapon. The colonists are forced off the planet and their ship explodes on takeoff, killing all aboard. However, it turns out to be a ruse by Ash, who dies to distract IMC from the rebel colonists who have escaped, and they eventually win back the planet from IMC. The Doctor leaves in the TARDIS, returning to Unit HQ a few seconds after leaving the Brigadier. The Brigadier looks puzzled, and the Doctor is a total condescending git. Here's a little clip from the end of the story, which beautifully illustrates... That last point. Will you excuse us? Yes, of course. Doctor, come back at once. Come on out, Doctor. Well, that was a short trip. You'll never get that thing working properly. He's talking as if we'd never been away. But as far as he's concerned, we hadn't. The TARDIS returned to Earth just a few seconds after it left. What are you two talking about? Don't try and explain, Joe. He'd never understand. Okay, apart from the Doctor being completely insufferable, what did I think? The story had a lot in it. The planet itself... ...was quite interesting looking... (laughs) ...if you find mounds of grey, gooey, cold, sticky mud... ...a blasted lunar landscape... ...very familiar to many other planets on Blake 7 actually... ...I thought it was a sinister other galaxy... ...or whales... (laughs) ...but it was in fact... Old Ball Clay Pit in Carclay's Cornwall. And yes, I did look that up. There is no way I would ever know where that was on earth. Though I suspected it was somewhere in the British Isles, because the BBC budget wouldn't stretch to much further than that. Another trivial little... Matter before we get on to the main stuff. There is an unfortunate, almost fourth wall breaking gaffe when the BBC plug a now very well known and disgraced personality from pop culture. This plug is included in the script, and at the time it wouldn't have been controversial, and I, like the rest of the British public, would have found it funny, but now it's exceedingly painful to watch. The theme of mass destruction is foremost. Solar scale mass destruction, which... Is very familiar, but way, way before Star Wars. And yeah, it's not exactly the same thing, but having a massive subterranean weapon system is very similar to the Death Star, or the even bigger Death Star, or the really, really, really big Death Star of The Force Awakens. They're all big, stupid, giant weapons. We also have the greedy interstellar corporation. And I don't know if it's the first time that this trope is used, but greedy, corrupt, and violent interplanetary mining corporation certainly predates, though resemble strongly the Wayland Utani of the later alien franchise. The black clad fascistic IMC thugs are organized, disciplined, militaristic, and many have a fringe forward Romanesque haircut. I'm sure that's deliberate to give an impression of a bureaucratic, corrupt, and domineering force that will become very familiar in the later Blake Seven. The uniforms actually reminded me a bit of the Sandmen in Logan's Run. The helmets are a bit silly though. <laughs> they have this very round... Black and, I think, purple-ish, pink, mauve, I suppose, helmets Not very flattering. Yes, if you ever want to intimidate someone, don't wear a helmet like that. Then we have the theme of negotiation versus direct action. Ash is the leader of the colony. And in this story, here's the voice of reason. There is his opposite in the form of a hot-headed rebel called Winton. What's interesting is that both have their points. And while I side with the likable Ash, I can see Winton's point of view of fighting violence with violence. And then there's this moment when I've... Settled into siding with Ash, but the rug is suddenly pulled from under me, and I then not only consider Winton's point of view, I think maybe Winton was right after all. I think it was about that point it struck me yet again that this is a kid's show? Well, Doctor Who certainly. Isn't Molly coddling the children? Or maybe I'm a bit of a wimp. Noble sacrifice is also a feature. Here we do go a little Star Trek Vulcan philosophy, with the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. When Ash sacrifices his life for his fellow colonists, whose welfare he feels responsible for, It just proves that Ash, the leader of the colony, although until this point he has always avoided violence, he is not in any way a coward. There is also the alien ruler, who takes this noble sacrifice about a million steps further, and not only does it sacrifice its life it also sacrifices its species and its entire civilization for the sake of the rest of the universe. The alien leader could just kill the master, but it realizes, I suppose it's not actually in the dialogue, this is my interpretation, if not the master now, then some other maniac in the future might try again to threaten the universe, and so its only recourse is utter self-destruction. Again, I'm in the chicken and egg situation, wondering whether Doctor Who influenced me, or whether it just fitted into my worldview. Perhaps because... Of my cultural background, the subjects of these stories very often chime with things I recognise. Because the story involves things like colonial versus native cultures, economic imperialism, corruption. It's all there. It does seem very political this week. There's politics. More politics and even more politics. For those nincompoops who think that New Who is too socially conscious or snowflakey and often hark back to the good old days of old Who, they really need to go back and actually watch some old Who to see that, for the time, vintage Doctor Who was always political, and very often defiantly anti-authoritarian. I really like this aspect of Doctor Who, so it particularly bothers me when, when I first started podcasting, I used to hear other commenters, either through ignorance or deliberately, ignoring history and reshaping what they watched to fit into their own very narrow and blinkered vision of how things should be. Quite honestly, when I wrote some of these notes down, I was a lot less nice. I'm being nice at the moment. Oh, and just a little aside. Because... I'm trying to maintain my own unique voice and spontaneity. I'm not saying that I'm the best Who podcaster out there, far from it. But it is good to have people with very different points of view, and I'm trying to be one of those people. I've rarely listened to other Doctor Who podcasts in the last few years. Personally, I... Don't think it's surprising that Doctor Who gets quite so political when one considers the historical context in which the first episode of Doctor Who in 1963 was broadcast. The show actually started one day after the Kennedy assassination. That year, the Partial Test Ban Treaty banning nuclear weapon tests in the atmosphere in outer space and underwater came into force. In the same year, the Organisation of African Unity, the OAU, formed with an aim to decolonise the remaining bastions of white rule in southern Rhodesia, South Africa, Mozambique and Angola. The war in Vietnam ramped up And there was also a surge of US troops sent to Vietnam. And the Vietnam War, in any case, spans a lot of early Who. What I'm saying is that the events of the time definitely had an effect on the Doctor Who scripts. The alternative view is maybe this isn't political at all other than how every writer is influenced by the things they see around them. Maybe this is just a simple story of the little guy fighting the big guy, and that's just a universal story that I'm reading too much into. But, I really don't think so. I think it is definitely political. Just so you know and so I'm being a bit honest. After I watched this story, I stupidly watched the first few minutes of a making-of video of this story before realising what I was watching and switching off. It confirmed the politically allegorical content by the left-leaning script writer. In my defence, I wrote all my own thoughts of the politics before watching any of that video. I reiterate that I always make a great effort to only watch the story and formulate my own views rather than cribbing what someone else says, either in a making-of type segment or what other commenters or reviewers have said. Otherwise, what would be the point of you listening to this show? Also, I kept calling the natives aliens, but we, the human race, are actually alien invaders in this story. And it does turn out that the native peoples of this planet are far more noble than we are. I thought that got a bit heavier than usual. So let me tell you about Helen Worth. Helen Worth plays the colonial governor, Robert Ashe's friendly teenage daughter. From her vibrant, youthful performance, I could see she would make a great companion. And I thought that would actually happen. And when it didn't, I was very surprised. And again, this is because I try not to do any research ahead of watching anything. Now, when I saw her... There was something very familiar about her face. I couldn't put my finger on it. I thought that she would become a companion. I thought maybe she was on Blue Peter or something. Something very familiar about her. There's a good reason for that. Depending on how you look at things there's a happy ending for the actress as she went on to play a major role on Coronation Street for 40 years. See what I mean? Bit of a mixed blessing. I'm sure she made a mint in that role. On the other hand, playing the same character on a TV soap for 40 years? I don't know. Finally, something that really... I thought was very attractive in an oddly geeky way. The passageways that honeycomb the alien city are cut through beautifully layered dark green volcanic glass. Those lovely walls really stuck with me afterwards. And I know what I'm Starting to sound like I'm starting to sound like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxies, Slarty Bart Fast nerding out about fjords. The prop walls? Whoever built them, well done. They only wobble a little. So props to the prop makers. Yeah, I know. And that is all I have to say about Doctor Who? Colony in Space from 1971. I'm glad you joined me for this. I think the next show will be just our usual nerdly natter. I have already started watching the next story, so also expect my thoughts on that pretty soon. The show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find out more about me or get in touch at roymartha.com. For further reading, there's a link in the show notes in the description of this episode. The notes are in plain text format for maximum compatibility. If you want to help the show, please review and rate it on whatever platform you listen, and recommend it to a friend. I'm going to use the power that the Master has bequeathed me to force you to recommend that to a friend. Recommend it to a friend. Recommend it. No, okay. Just trying. And that is it. You are listening to... Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This was episode 248, recorded on Monday the 18th of March 2019, and the time at the end of the show is 22.13.01. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!